Possibly because my brother was a lawyer older than me and I looked up to him quite right because he was better than me. <laughs> and he was also a very good sportsman. He was a tennis player, junior Wimbledon, and he was a marathon runner, ran the London Marathon a dozen times in under three hours. So I kind of looked up to him and uh, followed him and I actually never thought about doing anything other than law. By the same token, sport is a, my passion. It's not just an interest. Apart from my family, sport is the most important thing in my life. Wow. Um, so I then put the two together. And uh, I think there were two incidents really which kind of changed, were life-changing for me. Uh, the first one was um, in 1970, I went to Mexico to watch the World Cup. And just, which I used to do that sort of thing then. <laughs> and um, just before I left England, I started having a serious relationship with a girl who I realised I was going to marry, uh, who came from Madrid. And we were talking about getting married. I'd only been out with her a relatively short time. Um, and there was a problem when you're marrying a foreigner. Do you get married in England and yeah, upset yeah, yeah. her country, or do you get married in her country and upset your family? She was an air hostess. So who did you upset? Uh, neither. <laughs> no, it's either neither or both. We, I said, Look, I'm going to Mexico to watch the World Cup. Would you like to come with me? Yes, she said. I'm an air hostess. Tickets are not a problem. So we flew to Guadalajara where England were playing and Brazil were playing. It was one of the best World Cups ever. And we just picked a hotel out of a brochure. Uh, didn't know anything about it. It was in Guadalajara where England and Brazil were, were based. And in my hotel, anybody who was anybody in the world of football were in the hotel, including the press and all the rest of it. And uh, the press said to me, you know, uh, I had no guests to invite. I uh, didn't know anybody in Mexico. And who was giving your wife away? I said, well, no, it hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me. And they knew I was an Arsenal supporter. They said, well, what about getting the Arsenal manager, who I didn't know? Bertie Mears was at the time. I said, oh, that would be great if he would agree. <laughs> Make my day. And then uh, so he did agree. And then the question was, you need four witnesses at a, a wedding uh, in Mexico, unlike in England. You need four. And we had Danny Blanchflower from Spurs, Billy Wright, capturing them over a hundred times, Charlie Cook, who played for Chelsea, and uh, Dave Sexton, who at the time uh, was manager of Chelsea. So thereafter, I just knew everybody in football. Jeff Hurst came to our wedding and his wife was there and uh, half the England team. So, whereas previously I could never get a ticket for that, <laughs> unless I I'd sent in, then it became easy. And so when I wanted to speak to a manager, I could now phone the Arsenal manager, phone the Chelsea manager, etc., etc. So that was my first intro into football, which was totally by accident. Yeah. I and remember, at that point, were you a qualified lawyer? Yes, I was qualified. Um, and sports law at the time didn't really exist. Oh. Uh, a few years later, I was in America doing business uh, with the leading American sports lawyer, a chap called Bob Wolf. And while I was having a discussion with him in his office, 
the telephone rang and it was somebody was asking him whether he would write uh, a book about sports law and this was in the early days and I thought sports law what is sports law I didn't know there was such a subject yeah. you couldn't study uh, sports law at university for example yeah. so I realized then that there was such a subject uh, although it exist, existed in America always five years ahead of the English didn't exist in England. When I came back to England, um, I started um, acting for various sportsmen, which followed the 1970 introduction. I was a general practitioner, general solicitor. Did in in those days, it was possible um, to do anything in law and be an all rounder. I was a, I was an all rounder. Uh, do you think that helped you in, in terms of developing your sports? Yes. Sports client base. Yes. Because people might come to me, for example, Bob Wolf, the American lawyer I just mentioned, um, somebody came into his office once because they had a, a motor car claim, it was an insurance claim, and which he, he won the case for him and did very well. And he also noticed, which is impossible not to notice, that this guy was very tall, he was about seven foot two, uh, and his name was Larry Bird. So he's one of the biggest uh, basketball players in the States at the time. Yeah. So having done an insurance claim for Larry Bird, he, Bob Wolf, then started acting for the Boston Celtics, and etc, etc. Wow. And similar kind of things have happened to me. So I had lots of clients who were footballers and uh, I knew lots of people in sport. And in early 90s, um, a group of us got together and formed the British Association for Sport and Law. Yeah, which which has yeah. been going ever since. This is their 20th year. Uh, for the last eight years, I've been chairman, and this year I've been appointed president, which I'm really pleased Congratulations. to and honoured to do that because our uh, past president was Michael Belloff QC, who's absolutely yeah. a top lawyer. And um, since those days, we've developed. You can now go to university. We have a link with the De Montfort University and you can get a diploma in sports law and you can even get a master's degree in sports yeah. law. I now know that because I lecture on sports <laughs> courses. And um, we've introduced all sorts of things that we associated with sport and law. We're now the leading sports uh, body in England. Um, I was going to say, if not the world, but there are others in different countries. But we have links with all the countries. Yeah. We have a very good conference once a year. It was a fantastic conference. Right. And, and the standard of speakers is really high. Yeah. We have top people every year. And sports law is, does exist. So uh, Michael Belloff, for example, just brought out a new book this year. Yeah. And you can study law, sports law, and they're different fields, different areas. It's the Global Art Match Fixing case, where I was acting for Hans Seegers, the Wimbledon goalkeeper. Yeah and um, fashionary Seegers and Grobelar were charged with match fixing. It was billed as the football trial of the century. I don't know who gave it that, <laughs> but it seemed to work because there was lots of publicity on it. And everybody in the country wanted to know whether matches were fixed or they were genuine. So it was a really important case for football. And we won that case. And uh, it got a lot of publicity at the time because in the first case, some of it had been shown on TV and it appeared that people were doing things they shouldn't have been doing. And so we had to overturn that, which we did. 
and the first trial the jury uh, were undecided and couldn't reach a decision. Um, sometimes those cases have dropped, sometimes yeah. they have a second trial. So we were fortunate that there was a second trial, I say fortunate because we did the same work uh, twice, <laughs> and got paid twice. And we were showing videos of matches which were suspect, shall I say, from the police's point of view. And um, the prosecution wanted to show clips of various matches. And we successfully argued before the judge that you can't just show one clip of somebody making a mistake. Yeah. You've got to show the whole 90 minutes. We kind of did that with our tongue in cheek because there was lots of matches to look at. And it was 90 minutes each time they were. <laughs> so, and the judge agreed, sensibly agreed. So we showed the matches which were, shall we say, suspicious. Yeah. Um, there may have been a slip by, for example, a goalkeeper, but he may have made 15 brilliant saves. Yeah. So you've got to show the two to balance it up. Yeah. So I remember doing that case, and one of the barristers in front of me turned around and said, Mel, can you believe this? This is like watching Match of the Day, and they're paying us. <laughs> the first trial lasted three months, and the second trial was also three months, and we were successful. So that was easily the most interesting case. Well, if I can give you an example, uh, I went in the summer to a sports law exhibition, photographs of performing miles and things like that. And uh, we last had the Olympic Games before these ones, uh, 2012, 1948. And of course it was wartime, the war just finished and everybody was uh, in economically poor. And one man, a solicitor, did all the rules, regulations, all the contracts. Um, he worked for a company called Farrow and Company. Yeah. Very respected firm, Queen's solicitors. One man drafted the contracts. Um, I went to a lecture recently um, uh, given by the president of the IOC and he talked about the legal framework now. I don't know how many lawyers were involved in these Olympic Games. I would guess it was about 200. At least. Think of all the different sports, all the governance and the bodies and the regulations and English law and European law and international law and stadia, um, things which you don't even think of. And the sta stadia rights, naming rights, sponsorship rights, um, training rights, duty of care, all those sort of things. It's a minefield. Yeah how one little man, I don't know where there was little, how one bloke could do all that in 1948. Today he wouldn't know where to begin. The BOA, British Olympic Authority, got lawyers working for them. Yeah. They have a whole team of them. And they would have called it outside lawyers, um, which of course um, give independent views. Certain lawyers sat and had their, made their services available during the games, um, gratis. Believe it or not, lawyers do those things. <laughs> and so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a minefield of legislation, human rights, etc., etc. Number one, you have to be a sports fan. There's nothing worse than a sportsman coming in and you don't know what he does. <laughs> so you've got to. Yeah, it happens. So I always check my clients out before they come. and. Um, depending on the sport, I would have a fair knowledge anyway. So you've got to be a sports fan. Most blokes are. Yeah. Um, secondly, uh, like everything in life, whatever you decide to do, you have to work hard 
nothing is easy in life. And when you come into this world, you're given a stack of cards, some of them good, some of them bad, and you have to work with what you're given. Uh, but I've, if you look at the most successful people in the world ever, whether it's Michelangelo painting the Sistine yeah. Chapel or whatever it is, um, the one quality that they all have is persistence. They don't give in. Don't give in. They won't take no for an answer. They just keep coming back. So that's two. The third one, um, I would say, uh, you can be the greatest lawyer that ever lived, but if you don't have any clients, you're not going to make any money. <laughs> so in addition to being knowledgeable on sport, and knowledgeable on the law, you also have to be a people's person. And, and not everybody has that naturally. Yeah. Uh, some people, I've seen them at college, work 15 hours a day, get a first class degree, and um, don't know who Wayne Rooney is, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the ability to communicate with different people from different backgrounds, think about where he comes from. The, Think about where you come from and where he comes from, because it's going to be different. Yeah, yeah. And think about what he's good at, what's important to him. Find out what he really wants, and then work to, towards helping him get to that aim. And nothing in life is impossible. Uh, and anybody can do anything if they really try.